will be in Proverbs 16, verse 5 this morning. As I think back over my own life, uh, my wife and I have talked about so many times uh, how amazing it is to see God's hand at work in our lives. Um, I never would have imagined that God would have called me to preach His life-giving Word. Uh, Growing up, I I, uh, grew up in a Christian home. I grew up uh, the son of a pastor. Uh, My father was and still is a pastor. Uh, And so growing up in a Christian home, I uh, went to church every Sunday, went to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, made it for Sunday school, made it Wednesday night. I heard a lot of preaching over my my young uh, years. Uh, At age eight or nine, I uh, remember at our then home church, it was at the end of a VBS, that uh, there there was a lady who was uh, grabbing some of the kids by the hand and leading them up front. And in all of the commotion, I thought that I had gotten saved then. And so I I marked it down in my Bible and said this was when I got saved. And I I believed that, that I had been saved. Several years went by and I realized that I did not have Christ. That salvation was not mine. And so uh, it was my junior to senior year of high school that God had a way of working in my life to strip away everything that was causing me to be prideful. Everything that was causing me to to think of myself, uh, I've got it all figured out. God stripped all of it away. God had to humble me first in order for me to come to salvation. And it was by taking me to the text of 2 Corinthians 4, verses 7 through 18, in which Paul writes saying, Our outer self is wasting away, but my inward man is being renewed day by day. And I realized as I read that text that my inward man was not being renewed, that I was as dead inside as my outside was dying. And so God humbled me. God brought me to the end of myself and made me to understand how desperately in need of Christ I was. And we, likewise, must always be killing pride or pride will kill us. Oftentimes, pride is not thinking too highly of ourselves, but thinking too often of ourselves. And here in our passage of Scripture this morning in Proverbs 16, verse 5, we see that King Solomon, in writing to his son, telling his son how to live in the fear of the Lord, is telling him that he must not be prideful. So this morning... I want to preach to us about the deadly danger of pride. The deadly danger of pride. Proverbs 16, verse 5, if you have your Bible open there. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Assuredly, or be assured, he will not be unpunished. Let's pray. Father, I thank you first and foremost for who you are. I thank you that you are a good God, that you are gracious and merciful, that although we deserve damnation, although what we deserve, what we have earned by our unrighteous deeds is hell, you sent your one and only Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the perfection that we were called to be but could not be. To go to the cross on our behalf, bearing the torment of our sin, bearing the wrath that you poured out upon him 
as he bore our sin and would take our sin to the grave, would bury it there, would rise again so that we too could rise again in him. And Father, I ask that you would help me this morning to preach your word in a way that convicts sinners and sanctifies saints. And I pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. I'm reminded of a story many centuries ago of a young man who was the most handsome man in all of the land at that time. There was no, more, no one more handsome than this young man. He was, in, he was in the prime of his youth. He was physically, uh, physically in shape. Everything about this young man was seemingly perfect to everyone who would look at him. This young man was handsome beyond comparison. And the problem with his handsomeness was that he knew that he was handsome. And so this young man would spend hours every day staring over the riverbank into a pond to see his own reflection. One day when he was staring into this pond, looking at his own reflection, he lost his balance. His foot slipped beneath him and he fell headlong into the pond. And it was there as he sank to the bottom of the pond that he died. His pride quickly led to his downfall. His pride led him to destruction. And in the same way, Proverbs 16 verse 5 reminds us that pride will lead us to destruction. Pride can never lead us to the top. Pride will only lead us to the bottom. And so as we look together at this verse, this one verse, Proverbs 16 verse 5, I want us to look at two points. First, the depth of corruption. The depth of corruption. And secondly, the deliverance of Christ. The depth of corruption. Let me read Proverbs 16, verse 5, this first statement that is here. Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. In theological terms, there is something referred to as definitive declension. Essentially what this means is that our definition of sinfulness, our definition of wickedness worsens as we we get further away from ourselves. So what this might look like is that you go to work and Sally, your coworker, is gossiping. Sally's gossiping and she's telling everyone lies and she really needs to stop because she's doing something that is damaging the workplace and it's bothering and affecting everyone. But as you get closer to home, your sister is gossiping. And when you speak of your sister's gossip, you say, she's talking too much. She should really stop talking as much. But you don't call it gossip. But then as someone begins to talk to you about your gossip, you say, oh no, that's not gossip. I'm just trying to let everyone in the loop. I'm just trying to spread the news of what's going on. And so as you get closer to home, you start to to, to look at sin as less serious. You start to make uh, vindications for yourself, saying I'm not really that bad. But what that is, is pride. It's pride that causes us to look at ourselves through the lens of the law and say, I'm really not that bad. I'm not as bad as the next guy. I'm not as bad as I once was. I've cleaned myself up a little bit over the years. Pride is what causes us to do that. 
And so the reasoning goes that you and I often buck against anything and anyone who would say something of us that would not be in line with what we've trained ourselves to think of ourselves. We think we're really great in and of ourselves. We think we're strong. We think we're righteous in and of ourselves. And this is pride. But here's the thing. If you were here last Sunday, I preached on Isaiah chapter 6. And as Isaiah is taken up into the throne room of God, he sees these, uh, these heavenly beings, these angels worshiping God. As terrifying and as amazing as these angels were, they humbled themselves before God because they understood that God transcends anything else. That God is holy, holy, holy. And so these angels are worshiping God. And what happened to Isaiah? As Isaiah sees this heavenly worship scene, he says, Woe is me, for I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And so as we look at who God is and what God does, we should not say of ourselves, I'm really not that bad. I'm pretty close to God. What we should say of ourselves when we look at the law of God, when we look at the holiness of God, is exactly what Isaiah said of himself. I am ruined. I am ruined. Apart from Christ, we are absolutely and utterly ruined by sin. It says here in Proverbs 16, verse 5, that everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Turn with me to Revelation 21 really quickly. Revelation 21. I want to look at verses 7 and 8. And as we look at this list of those who will not be in heaven, those who will not inherit heaven as their home, I want you to notice what is included among those who will not inherit heaven. It says in Revelation 21, verse 7, He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now notice this. Listed among the things that will keep us out of heaven is in Revelation 21, verse 8, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable. Going back now to Proverbs 16, verse 5, what does King Solomon, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, write to his son? Everyone who is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Certainly we know that murder, that homosexuality, that involvement in such evil things as evil sorcery and witchcraft, idolatry and habitual lying are all worthy of the condemnation of God. We understand that the waywardness and sinfulness of this generation, that the murder that has been nicknamed abortion, that the wicked agendas of the LGBTQ, that murder, all of this, these things are worthy of God's judgment upon them. But among those things listed, among the things of sexual immorality and idolatry, is also abominable deeds. And Proverbs 16 verse 5 calls pride an abomination. So simply put, pride will keep you out of heaven. Pride will keep you out of heaven. The prideful are unwilling to look at themselves with eyes full of honesty that say of them what God says of us. Apart from Christ, we are wicked beings. We are fallen. 
We desperately need the salvation that only Christ can offer. You and I cannot save ourselves by simply cleaning ourselves up. The preacher cannot save you. Your name on a church membership roll cannot save you. Nothing and no one can save you but the Lord Jesus Christ and His work upon the cross at Calvary applied to your life. But we so often fall into this trap of pride. We fall into the very pit of pride and say, I can do it on my own. I can do it all. uh, Look at how far I've gotten myself. I've gotten myself to the job I have. I've gotten myself into the home that I have. The car that I drive is because of something that I've earned. Everything that I have is because of me. But James 1.17 comes along and says, Remember that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to shifting change. So every single thing that you have in your life that you would consider good, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your children, whether it's your job, whatever it is, every single bit of it has come from God. Every bit of it. We need to remember that even our breath has been given to us by God. You are not God. I am not God. And because we are not God, we are not perfect. Because we are not God, we are not as holy as we are called to be. Because we are not God, we are fallen creatures. And because we are not God, we are created creatures. And God has created us and given us a purpose. And that purpose is to bring glory to God. And if you are not living for the glory of God, then you're not living for the purpose for which you were created. You're living for something else, for something lesser than. We were given our breath by our Creator. And that breath ought not to be used to speak of how great we are. It ought to be used to speak of how great God is. Our breath should be given as a sacrifice back to the God who gave it to us. And we should sing, as, as we looked last week at Isaiah 6, we should sing exactly what the angels sang of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And if we go to Revelation 5, it says, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so all of the worship that we see taking place in heaven is worthy as the Lamb. Not worthy am I. Not look at, look at what I've done. Not look at everything that I've done to earn my way into heaven. I've punched my ticket. But the worship that we see taking place in heaven is worthy is the Lamb that was slain. And when you and I get to heaven, there will not be an inkling of pride left within us. When we stand before the Almighty, when we stand before the risen Savior, and we see Him, we will not say, oh, I've earned my way here. We'll sing along with the myriads upon myriads, worthy is the Lamb that was slain. A catechism is a series of questions and answers of theological truths. These are are questions that are drawn from Scripture. They're very simple questions and answers. We practice these with both of our girls, Laurel and Willow. We ask them questions such as, Who made you? And Laurel will respond, God made me. And then we'll ask her a second question. What else did God make? And she'll say, All things. And sometimes she likes to add what some of those things are. She'll say, God made Walmart. God made Mommy. God made Daddy. God made Nana. God made Grandpa. And Laurel loves to answer these questions. And a question that we've been working with her on recently is, what is our purpose? What is our purpose? And she loves to go up 
to my parents and to her grandma and say, Grandma, what's our purpose? Mommy, what's our purpose? And she wants us to respond to her as we've trained her to respond. And our purpose, she'll say, is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. As we look at the Baptist Catechism, it tells us something of the sinfulness of man. Question 21, it says, Into what condition did the fall of man bring mankind? Into what condition did the fall of man bring mankind? And the answer, the fall brought mankind into a condition of sin and misery. Question 22 is a follow-up question on that. What is the sinfulness of that condition into which all mankind has fallen? And it says, The sinfulness of the condition into which all mankind fell is the guilt of Adam's first sin, the lack of original righteousness, and the corruption of our whole nature, which is commonly called original sin, together with all actual transgressions which come from this nature. One of the historically Baptist confessions of faith says of our sin, our first parents fell from their original righteousness and communion with God, and we in them, whereby death came upon all, all becoming dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. And so what these catechisms and what these confessions teach us is that apart from Christ, we are entirely corrupt. We are corrupt to the very core of our being. Everything within us desires nothing but sinfulness. And here's the point. In Proverbs 16, verse 5, it says, Everyone who is proud in heart. Now, King Solomon could have said, Everyone who is prideful in speech. Because certainly people are prideful in their speech. He could have said, Everyone who is prideful in mind. Because certainly there are people who think too highly or too often of themselves. He could have said those who are prideful in their actions. But he doesn't. He, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says everyone who is prideful in heart. This word is not merely speaking of the muscle which pumps blood throughout the body. It's not speaking merely of that circulatory muscle found within the chest cavity of a person. It is speaking of the innermost part of our being. What Proverbs 16 verse 5 says is that our pride runs deep into our heart is that apart from Christ, we think far too highly of ourselves. We think that we can do it all. We think that we can figure it all out. We think we're smarter than we are. We think we're stronger than we are. We think we're better than we are. We think we're more righteous than we are. But then the law of God comes and it cuts us down at our knees. And it says, bow before the one who is truly righteous. Bow before the one who is truly strong. Bow before the one who is truly pure. And say of yourself what the law says of yourself. That apart from Christ in your own flesh, you are a broken person. You are a sinful person. And you desperately need Christ. And this is the reason that God so hates pride. This is why God considers pride to be, in verse 5, an abomination to the Lord. It is because pride is what causes a person to rebel. It is because pride is what causes a person to dishonor and disobey God. Remember that in the garden, in Genesis chapter 3, as the serpent comes up to Adam and Eve and begins to tempt them, he he tempts them by causing them to think that they could be like God. He tempts them by getting into their pride. And so, our first parents, Adam and Eve, 
would dishonor and disobey God because they desired to be God. They desired human autonomy rather than heavenly authority. And such has been the case of man ever since. We are infected and affected by sin in every faculty of our being because of this root sin, pride. I believe that as pride that often leads to all other sins. We lie most often to say more of ourselves. I've never heard someone who bowled a 300 say of themselves, I only bowled 150. Now I have heard people who have bowled a 200 say I bowled a 300. It's because of pride. Because they want to make more of themselves. We say what we should not because we believe that we should be able to do and say whatever we want to say. Away with God's law. Who is God to say what I can say? We disobey because we desire to usurp the authority of God. Because we desire to be God. Because we desire to be able to do and say whatever we wish to do and say. So it is because of this that so many of the sins that we commit against God can be traced back to this one root sin of pride. And this is why it says, everyone who is proud in heart, it is because pride runs deep within the innermost part of our being. And God has to dig down deep within us to bring that up and to nail it to the cross. It is pride that causes us to commit so many sins against God. There are some sins that I refer to as grape sins because they come in bunches. And pride is one of those sins. It rarely comes on its own. Pride often comes with lying. Pride often comes with actions that seek only the good of self and not the good of others. And this is why God considers pride such a horrible sin. It is because pride does not seek the good of others. It cannot seek the good of others. Pride only seeks the glory of self. Turn with me now to Leviticus 26. Leviticus 26. I want to look at verses 14 through 21. And God is speaking to the people of Israel here and to us of the penalties of disobedience. He is speaking to us of what will happen if we disobey and dishonor God and decide in our pride to go our own way, to do our own thing. Leviticus 26, beginning in verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes, and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. And so God is going to tell us what will happen if we in our pride reject him. Verse 16, I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down by your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. If also after these things you still do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Verse 19. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. 
Your strength will be spent uselessly, for your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sin. And so what we find here is that God in Leviticus 26 roots the disobedience and the dishonoring of the people against God in their pride. He says in verse 19, I will break down your pride. If you and I are ever to be truly saved, we must have our pride broken down. We must come to the end of ourselves. We must understand how desperately in need of a Savior we are. It is not until you realize how desperately you need a doctor that you go to the doctor. And and likewise, it is not until you realize how desperately you need the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not until then will you ever come to Him. And so much of what I hear today about salvation has to do with being freed from financial burdens, freed from anxiety, freed from troubles and turmoils, freed from any difficulty that would lay in our path, freed from ailments that strike the body. So much of salvation today just says, God can set you free from all of that. But that's not all we need salvation from. We need salvation from ourselves. We need salvation from the sin that taints us. We need salvation from the pride that causes us to say things that are not true of ourselves. We must come to the end of ourselves saying what the old hymn says, I have nothing on my own. I am a broken, prideful, disobedient sinner. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Have you ever come to the end of yourself where you have said that of yourself? Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. God had to bring me to a point after stripping away everything that made me think too highly of myself. He had to bring me to a point that made me think of myself. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. We need to be saved from our own pride. Look with me at this second statement in Proverbs 16, verse 5. Assuredly, or be assured, or if you're reading from the King James Version, it may say something like, hand in hand, or though they join forces, assuredly, he will not be unpunished. He will not go unpunished. So those who are prideful in heart will stand before God who will judge the living and the dead and they will be declared guilty before Him unless they turn from their pride and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this word here in 16.5, assuredly, or though they go hand in hand or though they join forces, it's really one word in the Hebrew. In the original language of the Old Testament, this word is yadim. It literally means hand. So I looked up what this word assuredly or be assured, what this phrase meant. And it began to decline in usage in the 1850s. It was used very often prior to the 1850s. And essentially what it means is as assured as a handshake. Be as assured as a handshake. There was a time before written contracts that a handshake deal was binding. That a handshake deal was a covenant. And so what God is saying here is be assured. 
Be as sure as the binding agreement of a handshake covenant that people who, who die in their pride will be punished. And so what, what King Solomon here is telling his son is write this down. Mark this before you. Make sure that you understand that if you are prideful, you will endure the wrath of God. And so much of preaching today shies away from preaching on the wrath of God. But beloved, we need to hear about the wrath of God. Because it is only after we've heard the bad news, the bad news of our sinfulness apart from Christ, that the good news is something that we can savor as glorious. We need to understand how desperately we need Him. And so then God will punish sin and sinners. We sometimes think that we may get away with our sin. And maybe you're here this morning and you've had everyone fooled for years. Your co-workers think that you're a really great guy. The person sitting in the pew next to you knows nothing of your second wife. Your spouse knows nothing of the adultery that you've committed. But Psalm 69 verse 5 says, God, you know my foolishness and my guilt or my ways are not hidden from you. So if you're here this morning and you're prideful, you may have hidden it very, very well from everyone else. But listen to me. You have not hidden anything from God. God sees it all. And this leads us to our second point. Because if we leave it here, things seem very hopeless. If we leave it here that the prideful will not go unpunished, it seems as though we are without hope and help. But turn with me to one last place very quickly in 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. And if you have your Bible, I want you to turn here with me because I want you to see this. 1 John 1, verses 8 through 10. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves. If you're here this morning and you're saying of yourself, I'm not that bad. You're lying to yourself. We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Oh, but here comes verse 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Not just from most unrighteousness. Not just from some unrighteousness. But all of it. God can remove your sin as far as the east is from the west. And if you're traveling eastbound, you're always leaving west behind. And so God can remove your sins so far from you that you can never catch up to them again. That the guilt that, that, that chases you down will never catch up with you again because you're saved. Because you're hidden in the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins if we confess them to Him. In verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. And so again, John deals here with this whole issue of pride. Some of you may be here this morning saying exactly what I said of myself for years. When the law of God condemns you as guilty, you may say, not me. I'm not that bad. 
Your law must be wrong because I'm sure not. Maybe your measure of standard is wrong because how I'm living isn't wrong. But to say such things is again looking at verse 8. To lie to ourselves. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Says Ephesians 2 verses 1 and 2. Not just sinking. Not just sick. Dead. Imagine going to the doctor. And you think, I know this is going to be bad. I've not been feeling well for a while. I know the diagnosis is going to be pretty bad. But then you go to the doctor and you walk in the room and you sit down. The nurse has checked you. You're waiting on the doctor. And the doctor walks in the room and says, I'm looking at your chart. And you're not just sick. You're dead. That's a pretty horrible diagnosis. And that's what the Word of God calls us if we are in our trespasses and sins apart from Christ. That we are dead. And so then... I don't know if you've ever been to a graveyard, but I have, and I've never seen someone open up their casket and dig themselves out of the grave. I've never seen the graves be knocked down as people jump out of the grave. So you and I cannot save ourselves. We cannot. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. I'm reminded of the old hymn, that says, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And it says it two more times, lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. And beloved, I'm here this morning as one who was once so prideful But God has done a work in my life to make me understand how desperately I need Him. And I didn't just need Him when I got saved. I didn't just need Him for a while. I need Him every hour. Every hour I need Him. So I want us to be reminded this morning that no matter how prideful you are, no matter how far you've run from Christ, If you confess your sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive you right where you are. A church that is filled with prideful people will have a funeral, not a future. A church that is filled with prideful people who seek only to serve themselves will not be a a revived church. It will be a repulsive church. A church that is filled with prideful people will not be a church that is a witness to a watching world as to what to do. It will be a warning to a watching world as to what not to do. So my prayer for us this morning, as I've been called to serve as your interim pastor, my prayer this morning, for you, and most importantly for myself, is that God would constantly be doing a work in me, in you, And in us, to remind us of how desperately we need Jesus every hour. And that he would show us Jesus more and more. So that we see in him a savior who is kind and true. 
a Savior who is the Alpha and Omega. My prayer for us is that we would realize that we're just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. That we would be a people set on loving God supremely and loving each other too. And putting all pride aside so that we would see Christ's work explode in our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. As I read through Proverbs 16, I was reminded of my own pride. And just this week, Lord, you know that you reminded me of ways that I've been prideful. And Father, as you dealt with those in my life, as you reminded me of the cross this week, would you do that for those who are here this morning? Would you remind us each of the cross? Help us to live in light of the salvation that your son brings. And if there's anyone here this morning who does not yet know you, would you break them out of their pride? Because there is nothing better than to know you. We pray this in the name of the one who came to save us. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.